0: It was 18 years since I started racing until I got that opportunity, and and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I told myself, I put my shield down and walk into my bike. I said, well, you worked 18 years for this moment, and this is your time. And I went out, and I beat him by like 12 seconds. I just killed him.
1: Episode 152, Tank Slapping Podcast. This one's kind of weird, guys. I don't have my microphone. I'm basically talking through the computer, but I'm really pumped up on this episode. It's one that I've wanted to do for a while. Finally reached out to him. Uh, Eric's on the other side of the mic. I'll introduce Eric first. He's not as important as our guest, but Eric, what's good, brother? How are
2: you? Uh, not too much, man. It's uh been crazy out here in Eastern Washington. I uh I was joking. I think I'm gonna have to tell Scotty Dooler to switch my name from the Nomad to the World Trade Center. It's uh it's an inferno over here, man. It's oh, uh... that's crazy. <laughs> I saw the uh, Cody Cop posted something
1: and all the smoke and shit. That's gnarly. And then. California is getting hit with hurricane. I didn't even know that was a thing. So, uh,
2: yeah, uh hurricane Hillary, it's deleting 30,000 emails as it hits the shore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, this is a good one, man. I mean, I've, I, I like having these guests, uh, on, I've mentioned multiple times. I really enjoy these interview pods and especially guys who I grew up watching kind of heroes from the eighties and nineties, the camel pro days. And we got Jimmy Feliz coming on the podcast here in a minute, man. I'm super excited. Uh, honestly, Eric, I, I hadn't, you gave me shit. You're like, oh, he's number 65 on a Yamaha. And I was like, dude, I, I didn't even know he was number 65. <laughs> like I, uh, I had no idea that that was a number he ran and, you know, call me a bad fan or whatever, but I'm, uh, you know, it. he's, he raced with a lot of people we've had on this podcast, you know, Kaczynski and. Wayne uh, Wayne Rainey and Schwantz and Chandler and and Jimmy was uh, man he was a legend he has multiple you know career accolades in the 250 class and Grand Prix AMA flat track uh, very versatile rider and he's got a lot of great stories so I'm excited to bring him on um, I want to quick shout out a few sponsors then we'll get him on the podcast I want to make sure we shout out Mission Foods. Title sponsor of the show, keeps us rolling week in and week out. If you can support them, go buy some products, buy some chips, and give back to those who support us. want to make sure we shout out Yamaha Racing and Yamaha Motorsports. Check out their website, YamahaMotorsports.com, and Bell Power Sports. Check out BellHelmets.com to view their full line of products. If you tank slap, you got to be wearing Bell. We appreciate all they do for our podcast. Without further ado, let's bring him on. Jim Felice. How are you, brother? I'm doing well. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate you coming on. Do you, what do you prefer? Do you prefer Jimmy or Jim? I've heard it multiple ways.
0: You know, through my career, it was so long. It changed my name a few times. You know, early in my career, it was Jim. Then later in the nineties and stuff, it went to Jimmy. And so whatever you'd like to call me.
1: <laughs> I, like I like Jimmy. Okay. I like Jimmy. That's uh, that's kind of how I knew you as Jimmy Felice. Jim's a little freaking proper. I like Jimmy. That's that, uh, I enjoy that, but uh, yeah, appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I mean, obviously, we could have a four-hour podcast. There's a lot to talk about, but I want to touch upon a few points in your career. And honestly, what kind of caught my attention reading about your your youth and your upbringing was, um, and mentioned in like you know, you're a smaller rider, of course, and and I was as well. Like when I graduated high school, I was five foot tall, ninety five pounds. I was very very small and. And I read that, you know, you kind of got bullied a little bit in school for your height and me as well. And I thought that was interesting. And and then you picked up racing kind of, uh, you know, throughout that time frame. So talk about how that got started for you and maybe your first motorcycle and kind of how you got started.
0: Well, you know, uh, yeah, it goes back to school days, you know, getting pushed around a little bit and getting in some fights when I was younger. Um, Didn't put up with much stuff. So my dad told me if I straightened up and and did well in school, he'd buy me a mini bike and he came through with that. And uh it just progressed little by little. Went out to a little place and short-tracked a little bit where he parked his semi-truck, what he he was doing for a living at that time. And and uh it just progressed. And the first real motorcycle race I went to was the San Jose Mile. 1973 I got I got Gene Romero's autograph after he won that event and that was really special that that you know I grew up in that town and and uh, that that race you know put a big impact on me and I kind of wanted to go that way I told my dad and and he had some friends that were involved more in motorcycling than he was and first race I rode was a track in Monterey California a Monterey short track at the fairgrounds and finished last I didn't you know do nothing great. And, uh, but I enjoyed it, enjoyed the competition and just, you know, it's a family sport. And when you start young like that, everybody's involved sisters and mom and dad, and it just, it just, you know, became that just going to the races with the family and enjoying it and never really thought that I was going to go very far or, or where I wanted to go. I just kept pushing and, and, uh, just progressing, I guess.
2: So having grown up in California and in, in that era, um, it, it seems to reason that you kind of grew up in the uh, the shadow of on any Sunday, would you say that film influenced your, um, your career as a racer, whether or not be your heroes or the style um, kind of the culture, how, how big of a um, impact did that film have on you growing up in California during that era? It had a big impact.
0: Actually, when I went to see that, that film, um, Evil Knievel was playing the feature film. And we were gonna leave. We didn't even know what the heck on any Sunday was. And it's even before I even had a motorcycle. And to watch those guys on the big screen going around, you know, Columbus, Ohio, or some of the racetrack, San Jose Mile, and just seeing that at that time left such an impact on me. That's what I wanted to to try to you know do and and i think that's why i asked my dad for a motorcycle and at that time flat track racing was very popular in northern california we had probably three four races a week you know um we'd have wednesday night at fremont and uh we would have monterey short track we'd have oakdale salinas airport and uh just just so many racetracks and so many riders at that time and uh it was just a it was a fun time for me you know i and I was about 12 years old. I had my first major injury. I, I cut my finger at, at Fremont. I was leading the points, and it was the last race of the year. My my little Yamaha 80 blew up and seized on the front straightaway. So I pulled my my clutch in and I had my hand up, and somebody clipped me and got my hand caught in the, between the clutch lever and the handlebar. And and that was like that was a turning point for me because it was a pretty serious injury. It cut it pretty well, and my grandma come over and my mom and dad, and they asked me, "Do oh, you really want to do this?" and and, you know, at, at that point, I I had that in me. I felt like that I was okay and I did well. And and this was a couple of years after I got started. And I just kept just trying and trying and trying to get opportunities. And we didn't have a lot of resources. But my dad knew a few people that supported us, like a man named Robert Kinsella that put a lot into us. And he helped Doug Chandler as well in mini bikes. And so many people that, that uh, I look back to my career that really – kind of made my way, um, you know, give me the opportunities. And and I was fortunate enough to see the opportunities and capitalize on them and just keep progressing and get more
1: opportunities. It's kind of crazy now. I mean, looking back, back when you were young, it wasn't super easy to go get a, a mini bike um, and go racing like it is now. I mean, we have kids now that they can hop on a Strider when they're, you know, a year old and then they go to a Stasic and PW and Cobras. And I know I have a little one and we have more bikes in the garage already than I've ever had in my life. Um, but back during your time for like a lot of your guys' bikes, your mini bikes look kind of sketchy. They were like, they look like they're custom built, um, Briggs and Stratton just, it wasn't super easy for young, young kids to get involved. It seemed like the the time frame from for when kids started riding it was more like eight nine ten years old you know now it's four or five so yeah i mean it's just crazy how fast things have moved along over the years um but you mentioned obviously you're a north Cal guy and there's been a lot of um great racers to come through that region and you talked about doug chandler who uh we like Doug, man. Doug's a good guy. I was out at his shop last year, just visiting him, his uh, DC10 bicycle shop. And uh, mm-hmm. if, I'm not, no, if I'm not mistaken, I think you you rode a little bit with Chris Carr going up through the ranks and Fred Merkel, um, who were kind of your your kind of riders.
0: Well, in mini bike days, it was um, those guys were a little behind me. They're a little younger, a couple years. Chris and, and Doug. But it was more Randy Momola, me, uh, Fred Merkel, um, those guys, Ricky Ryan, who went more towards motocross and wanted Daytona Supercross 86. So we had some good riders at that time that, you know, that um, mini bike, and it was pretty popular. We actually, when I first started the mini bike race, they didn't want us with the sportsman riders, with the 14 and older riders. They wanted us to stay with our own little group. So we, they started a, uh, coast County mini bike club in Salinas, California. And we went to our own races. We had just mini bike races and Dougie was there with his uh, brother, Kurt. And yeah, I just, I got to see those kids come along too. And I was just a couple years older when I turned pro, they were still, still amateur. Um, but yeah, what talent, those guys, Chris Carr and Doug were, we're amazing even as mini bike riders and um yeah it's uh it's it's come a long ways you know we used to have to fight to get to get to be involved and now they let the kids and have their own little series and that's that's the um i think it's a good way to to help our sport stay strong
2: so you're in 1981 uh, that was your rookie expert season and um you were flat tracking at that time, now in, in that point in history, in that point, our sport was kind of going both both back and forth. Did you have a history of road racing your entire career since you were a kid growing up, or is uh, getting out onto you know the road was that something that you popped on later in life?
0: Well, um, my dad bought me a TA one twenty five when I was thirteen, and Walt Masterson had to sign. A, he was our district referee. He was actually, he's actually Kenny's uh, father, and um, stepfather, and Walt, he signed a paper so I could ride AFM races, and I was able to do three of them. I got second and one, and then the third one I went to ride, we tore the bike apart, and it had a center rubber gasket, and it always known to leak, so it had an air leak and threw me off, broke my collarbone, and that was a good injury for me. It, you know, it's, uh, I didn't want to touch a road racer after that, actually, it was like, kind of scared me. Really didn't know what I was doing. Uh Randy already Randy Mamola already went towards that. Merkel was doing it a little bit. So some some riders were going in that direction and I wanted to stay more towards flat track. That was that's where really my heart was and that's where I wanted to to succeed and and, and win a national or win the win the grand national championship. Um so it didn't I didn't ride a professional um road race until I was 17. Uh, Yamaha hired me um, to run both Houston Astrodome races, the short track and TT as a junior. And then they hired me for the gold cup at Ascot before the night, before the TT at Ascot. And uh, I won both Houston races. So Mert was building the bikes at that time. And uh, so he calls me up one day and tells me to come on over. I need a little help. And he was about two hours from San Jose. It's where I grew up and he was in Tiburon. So I drove by myself to the shop or to his house in the garage, actually the same place that on any Sunday, it was pretty cool. And, uh, he had a brand new road racer in a crate for me. And so he says, uncrate it. So he uncrated it. And, um, he sent me to, to Daytona with uh, a man named Stormy Winters. And me and Stormy went there and really didn't have any real experience. Uh, my 125 days, I, I was, I was riding a bike completely wrong and nobody really there to help me or coach me. And, uh, so I went to Daytona and, uh, we really didn't know what I was. I didn't know what I was doing really. Um, really wasn't nervous. And that was a really kind of a, a weird thing for me, you know, cause I get jittery before the, for the races, dirt tracks, you know, little nerves and, and, uh, but the road racing didn't bother me at all. You uh, know, I went out and, uh, I won that race. And, uh, so at that point, um, Kenny started to get a little bit of interest in me and Ken Clark was my main, main believer in me. He started to help me and he was a Yamaha team manager and he started to help me at 16 years old. So I had a relationship with Yamaha for a couple years already, but Kenny started to come in and, and talk to me and give me some advice. And, and, uh, I only run one road race after that is what uh, Laguna Seca I ended up crashing. So I had I had one win as a novice, and that kind of launched launched me into road racing, and it came so natural to me. So it was uh, it wasn't difficult. I just it was comfortable, and it's, I enjoyed it, and uh, and I I was doing really well. So uh, it just progressed. The next year they were focused in a lot on road racing with me in eighty one, um, and I went to Daytona, and uh, Bud Askelin was my my main guy my crew chief and great guy he gave me a great foundation of understanding and the way the bike works and what we needed to go fast and he was a big part of my learning and uh went there and we me and Eddie Lawson battled for the win in the lightweight 100 lightweight there's a 100 mile i guess they called it the international lightweight and me him and uh, and Tony Mang he was the current world champion and this was like my third road race professional road race ever and me and Eddie battled the whole race and he beat me by a couple inches at the line, but I beat the 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 um world champion. So it just started to progress. I ended up beating Eddie at Pocono later in that year and and uh it was uh yeah, it it, it come easy, but it got difficult, you know, a, a lot more as I got a lot better the, you know, as the years went on. You know, in 80, 81 was a kind of a unique deal. I won my first first grand national race at Louisville. And we had two races that same weekend. We had Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, and Louisville Downs. So they charted a plane after practice at Elkhart. We got on an airplane and flew to Louisville. Well, Louisville got rained out. And uh, my kid was my teammate. And so we uh, all had a meeting about if we wanted to go back to Elkhart to race the the main event on Sunday, we, we couldn't do that. We, if we wanted to choose to race, to race at Louisville. So we chose Louisville to stay there and end up winning my, my first grand national race. So that that's was, amazing. that was a pretty good thing for me. 81. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's super cool. I mean, it's, and then, it's underrated in general to win. I mean, so even be competitive your rookie season, but to go out and, and win a race in the early eighties as a rookie with the, with the competition that was out there. Uh, and you're, you know, you're focused, you know, you're really focusing on road racing as well and to, uh, double up in one weekend and win your first race. And then you went on, obviously, uh, a lot of listeners know you end up winning, uh, you won rookie of the year that season as well. in the grand national stuff. So it's, uh, that was, that had to be, a Um, what, what, what was that like? I mean, was, was that kind of tugging on you different ways? I mean, did you, when did the focus kind of shift to road racing? Because it, it really shifted for you at some point. Um, I mean, you're, you're already starting to kind of put some focus and attention on the pavement, but, but then you go out as a rookie and you win, uh, you win the flat track stuff. Was the money just so much better on the pavement or, you know, what led to those decisions? Oh gosh. Um, you know, it's like I say, my heart was in dirt track and,
0: and there there is money to be made there and opportunities. And, and, and in that area, you had to look for the opportunities to stay, stay doing it, you know? So um, yeah, it's, it's a, that was a tough decision. I, I wanted to stay more towards the dirt track, but that year was a weird year. The 81, it was Robert Slawwell was called. Danny Roberts and Mert Lawwell, they're partners. And we were basically a factory team. So we ended up racing Harleys, being a factory Yamaha team. And after, after I won that Louisville race, that was a borrowed bike. Because at the beginning of the year, the Virago just wasn't working. And I crashed three times at Ascot. So Ken Clark says, we're going to park this bike. So we didn't have any, any bikes. Mert had his own Harley. So he had to borrow a Harley for me to ride that race at Louisville. It was a borrowed bike, never seen it before, never ridden it. And it was just, so it was kind of a joke in the paddock or the pits that, you know, team Yamaha was racing Harley Davison's. So it was quite a unique year to even for me to go through. And it ended up where I focused more on the road road race a little bit road to Virago at a few races, but it just wasn't, wasn't ready to be, to be out there and, and to do battle. So, uh, you know, it, it was a tough deal, and um, I just – we focused a lot on the road race end and, and Bud, me and Bud, but the following year, I rode for factory Yamaha and had a ride at Brago the whole year, and that was a tough season for me in 82.
2: Yeah, so speaking of that, in the 80s, it kind of seemed like you started with a Yamaha, and then kind of as the, as the decade progresses, you have some success – and then in the later 80s, that's when you started to, if, if I'm not if I'm remembering correctly, that's when you started to ride for Honda, correct?
0: Well, um, I rode for, and after I lost my Yamaha ride, well, they pulled out of racing in, in
2: 83.
0: I got the ride to 500. and Now in, in 82, I rode all the dirt tracks and I rode a 250 and 500 at the road races. So okay. my my schedule was so packed that that I, I broke my wrist in the middle of that season and it kind of, it kind of faded away. I won the last four hundred and fifty races in that season, but for the dirt track, we parked the bike and Yamaha decided not to go that way. Um, 83 struggled a little bit, rode to 500 for Yamaha, at two races, one at Laguna and one at Sears point and uh, had a deal with Eddie Atkins. It started late in the season, but it was a dream come true. And Eddie was so kind to me and so good to me when being young and, and, and just give me so much background and experience. You know, my dad couldn't go with me and, you know, he had to stay home and raise his other part of the family. And so it was a lot on my own. So Eddie, Eddie kind of stepped in and, and was a father figure and I love the man, you know, we lost him here not too long ago and, and he rejuvenated my career. And, and, uh, we won some races, uh, won three miles that year. Should have won five. Um, got bumped off the groove, the last corner at, at Indy and broke a uh, coil wire, coil, um, coil wire at, uh, at DeCoin. Um, so it it's, uh, that's what really kind of put my, you know, footprint in dirt track was that season. He really, he really stepped up and the bike was amazing. And, and uh, we did things that, yeah, we were unbeatable and we talked about being small and, and everybody looks at, you know, your size and being, you know, under the paint or tucked in well or, or but I looked at it as weight was a, I had a big advantage with gearing. I was able to run like, uh, say a Syracuse mile, overall gearing was, the average gear was like 555, you know, in the 540s, I always ran like, I ran at Syracuse like a 528, that's almost two teeth taller than everybody else. So once you got that momentum up, they couldn't, they couldn't even draft me. So that's where I found where my size was just such an advantage in, in that, in that time of racing, we had no restrictors at that time. And, and they started then thinking about restrictors and, and then in 84, they changed to just Carlisle, Carlisle tires. We went from the Goodyear's stop. They stopped producing them for a little bit. So we had to run the Carliles. and for me and the Carlisles didn't work in 84, I was riding for, um. I got contracted in 84 with Harley Davidson and, and they put the, the brand uh, Harley owners group on me. That was the first year of the club. So those are the colors that I ran that year um, struggled that year. Only a couple podiums at Sacramento. I got two podiums. We used to have two races at SAC, and got two podiums, got two third places there, but yeah. I struggled in, in some of the time of, you know, getting those podiums because it was so competitive
1: yeah, it's super interesting to hear your thoughts on being a small rider and uh and then having it its advantages and disadvantages. And I think I think if there's a lot of grip and I honestly, I mean I obviously I didn't race back in that that time frame, but I mean a lot of the motors were air cooled motorcycles and um it's a lot different than what we're running now. Like it's, you know, the bikes have so much horsepower, they're para- mostly parallel twins. Uh I feel like if there's good grip And you can get hooked up with the tire choices or whatever. It's also interesting to hear the Carlisle kind of insight you gave there. But I think being small is really good if you have that grip and you can get off the corner. Um, But like, sometimes it can be a challenge too. And a lot of people don't realize when you're, when you're trying to get grip off the corner, whether it's on the motorcycle or the tires you're running, you know, you could be the smallest guy in the world, but if you're spinning off the corner, and you never get going down the straightaway you you can't really use it as an as an advantage as you would think so it's really right. uh, interesting to hear that insight being a smaller rider myself to uh to kind of get that insight from you as well um you know i I won San jose mile in eighty
0: three in september of eighty three and and that place it would get so slippery you know through the day like coming off turn four it would be like glass you would actually have to roll back the throttle to go forward. So in the main event, you know, the main event, the last lap, I'm leading it down the back straightaway. And Scotty comes, Scotty Parker comes in and passes me going into three. And in the center of the corner, he stood that thing up and went right to the edge of the groove on the outside. I mean, it was such a crazy move. As like, do I follow him? Or do I, do I, do I just go to the normal bottom of the groove and go around the corner? Cause he picked the bike up and went right to the edge of the, the dark dirt you know where the shade was and he had a little more background and more experience in in the big bike class so i followed him and i was able to draft him down the french trader but if i have drove down on that groove i would have never got hooked up and never beat him and that taught me a big lesson right there that was uh
2: yeah that was a that was a moment
0: i'll never forget
2: so going forward a couple years um you know leading into this uh this interview i, I you know did a fair amount of research into your career and one of the big things that i i kept reading about was the uh the road race at laguna seca seca in 1988 um with the 250 grand prix uh world championship how would you say that that race stacks up uh on all the races that you won um how does that one rank with the the rest of them
0: you know the San Jose mile race that I just spoke about, I went to that, I won that race 10 years after I went to the first time that I watched Gene ride that race. So it was 10 years that I, that I, I worked towards that goal and I would end up winning that race and the same, the same month as he did in uh, 10 years later in 83, he won it in 73 when I went, but, the, but the Laguna Saker race was so crazy. How everything come about, you know, the ride a works bike. Is special in itself. I mean, those that bike to lease was $1 million. It had carbon fiber fork tubes where the steel sliders go into the magnesium bodies or carbon fiber. It weighed 195-95 pounds and it had 95 horsepower. It was amazing motorcycle. Um, how I got that opportunity was I did some uh riding with Freddie earlier in that year with Jerry Griffith, Doug Chandler's father-in-law. He's had a racetrack out in oakdale california and freddie would go out and and train with them i went out there a couple times well i've known jerry a long time and and irv called jerry up and was looking for a rider to compete with john because no european was ever at laguna and the racetrack was going to be a new layout but a lot of the racetrack was the same so they wanted somebody that was competitive well I didn't ride a 250 for five years. The last time I was on a 250, I finished second at Daytona in '83. Uh, me and Bud Asplin just did a partnership, and I rode for him there. And so it was like Jerry threw my name in the hat, and uh, Irv called me up. I really didn't know Irv well, and kind of offered me the deal. and And he says the only the only obstacle we have is get you signed up. And it's like, well, I have a friend, Bill Spencer, who was just like a big mentor of mine when I was young. And he was helping Laguna with uh, organizing some things. So they're in the process of entering riders and and people. And it was an open entry. There's really like so many riders that that entered that event. And uh, he calls me up and says, hey, Jimmy. He says, "Uh, I'm going to put you down on the entry and do your entry. He says, what number you want to run? This goes back to 65, Corey. And I says, he says, we ran 165 in 81 when he raced against Lawson at Daytona. He says, why don't we just go with 65? And I said, sure, let's do that. And Springer, he was 65X and he's one of my big time heroes. And and uh, so I said, let's do it. And that's how that number kind of come into my life, basically, was was his his choice. And it was a good choice. Um, <laughs> and then it was, uh, and, and then I, I went out there and, uh, showed up at a Thursday practice one day, more than usual practice. Usually they start on a Friday, but they gave like a couple hours for all the new people coming to this new racetrack in, in America. And, uh, I went there and progressed, you know, through the, through that week, through Thursday, Friday, and then like the last session of the qualifying i ended up qualifying second behind john by just a little bit and at that time i always can go a little quicker than qualifying so i knew that i was going to be competitive and it was 18 years since i started racing till i got that opportunity and and i still remember it like it was yesterday i told myself i put my shield down and walk into my bike i said well you work 18 years for this moment and this is your time and i went out and I beat him by like 12 seconds. I just killed him. And it was like, uh, didn't even really know that, you know, the, the bike that I rode in 83 at Daytona had one side disc. This thing was just so trick and such a great bike. We changed the transmission internal gears, reach corner and the engineers. And I just never, you know, I rode for the factory Yamaha and, and had some great opportunities, but this was just extreme. It was, uh, it was a it was a blessing. I I just to this day, I don't even know why Jerry recommended me when, you know, his son-in-law was Doug Chandler. Dougie didn't have as much background on the 250 as me, but he was still a great racer. But, you know, I ended up with the deal and capitalized on it and opened some doors for me and really didn't know the bike. I didn't know, you know, up, you know, the um just the setups and just the the experience on it and yeah things things uh it was a dream i i, I still to this day it was just uh how everything fell into place nothing was planned never seen the bike until i seen seen it at the event um just like like a miracle
1: really yeah uh, that's awesome yeah i i did some research on that and I think it's really cool too. I mean, looking at where we're at now in MotoGP, we're uh, we're kind of really struggling with uh, with Americans just trying to be competitive over there. And looking at that race, it was pretty much all America. I mean, John Kaczynski, who's uh, he's a friend of ours, he listens to a lot of our shows, and he's been on. and he He qualified on pole, and you won the race. And I think in the 500cc class, it was. I think, uh, Wayne was on pole and I think Eddie Lawson won the race. So a lot of, a yeah. lot of Americans doing well that day. Uh, I mean, in that era, especially, we, we were really, really strong over at the grand Prix level. Um, kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that a little bit. Uh, what do you think it would take? And I, do do real quick, do you follow MotoGP or any of that currently? I, I follow all the races. Yeah. Okay. I, I watch, I watch everything what do you think it would take to get the Americans back to where we need to be at the world level? I mean, it's no secret. We've kind of been, I mean, it's a lot different. Like we could talk for hours about the landscape and the politics and things like that, but what do you think it would take uh, for Americans to get back to that level where we're competitive at that MotoGP level? You
0: know, Kenny, Kenny was a lot of the influence and all of that, you know, what he did for his riders and even myself, uh, uh, I was part of their first management group in the, in the early days with Gary Howard and hired some of the good people that, to do the job he wanted but his vision was for his riders to develop and he would develop them and and make a way for them and, and what he did was provide the greatest opportunity that those guys had and it takes more than just a rider sometimes it takes the whole effort and Kenny was, you know behind that and then wayne was so good and swanson wayne were battling and i think suzuki looked at that as they keep that battle going so i think it even helped kevin get over there a little bit and uh yeah it's you know if it wasn't for kaczynski you know the Honda thinking kaczynski was going to win laguna i might have never got that opportunity so it's for the americans right now it's uh it's a tough road um it's so much different over there. And for those guys, it's much easier. They go home every week and they're, they're basically, you know, not far from their home. And, and, you know, when they race abroad, it is what it is for everybody, but through the year of Europe, it's, it could be difficult. It's a lot different, you know, and we've, when Kenny had his school over there in the in the middle nineties, I went over there and, and basically he sent me there to kind of help, bring what we did and maybe we just give a little too much and they've take it to the to the next level with uh, the training and um just what they do and it's amazing and and there's such talent and but it's all built into them you know I I was fortunate enough to work with Graciana Rossi um Valentino was never allowed at the school just for politic reasons and Graciano come for two days and we did an exhibition before one of our dirt track, uh, exhibition races. And I got to talk to him and explain what it was and what we did. And, and I'm not saying that I did anything to influence anybody, but Kenny Roberts did. He, he, he influenced that them over there. And and now, uh, now they just take it in one step, step further. It would take a big effort as should get right to the point. It would take a big effort from us and to provide an effort for the, for the younger riders, there's talent here. I I see these kids riding now and from the, from the junior cup to the twins cup to those kids are so talented, but having the right Avenue and direction and, and, uh, and the people behind you from management to, because management matters, you know, I left my management uh, early in my career and I did it myself, but you know, I settled for a lot less than I should have in some situations and, but it's going to take a total package to to do that, I believe, and to recreate what Kenny did. You know, just create a home and the comfort of there, and know that they're getting taken care of. and And he did a great job, and he's, I believe, behind a lot of our world championships. And you know, with John was a fantastic racer and and such a great talent. And we were teammates in '86 with the factory Yamaha superbikes, and so we're rivals from a young age. You know, that was in my early twenties; he was. He was signed at 17, so he wasn't even able to ride Daytona because FIM wouldn't allow anybody under 18 to ride Daytona. So he had to sit that one out, and Mike Baldwin stood in for him. And Eddie Lawson won the race. Um, I don't know where Baldwin finished. I blew up the last lap. <laughs> but uh, have, uh,
2: good, sorry, if you have something something more to add to that, I'll, I'll no, my- no, go, go ahead. Yeah. So when you when you spoke about rivals, that you know something popped in my head here, and you know I, I was obviously being from NorCal. Uh, my condolences for that. It takes a lot to overcome that adversity in life, being you know, from, from from norcal NorCal. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know somebody else that is from there is um, Ricky Graham, and obviously you know time has kind of you know marched on, and we and we can kind of look back on you know how everything thing played out you know we you miss Ricky but you know you guys were notable uh rivals growing up so um how did that how did that influence your career uh during uh during those years you know battling with them and uh just kind of getting your uh your insight on on those uh those races uh in your past. oh Ricky's a great guy you know we trained a little bit together I don't know if you've ever been out to
0: Clear Creek Quarry um uh, out of just past Salinas a little bit of trail riding we used to go trail riding out there, but it's like, it was a training ground and, and Ricky would go and Scott Pearson and me and, and, I, and Ricky had a friend, Buddy Robinson. That was just a, just a great trail rider. And that, that really, you know, Ricky was, he was a great guy and he had so much ability and talent. And and I was already racing fully in road racing when he had his 93 moments, you know, and won 12 races or what he did, but Back in the day, he was tough. When they would give you the five lap, like five laps to go in the main events and the miles, and you had like a pack of three, four guys going for it, it was like shifting into another gear with Ricky. He was he was amazing, and uh, when he got on the Honda, he's he was amazing. And I, I in '83, I lost uh, Springfield Mile. He beat me by uh, just inches on the line. But that's uh, we had some close races that year. That was my best season on dirt track. I would say was was probably 93
1: or 83. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot about Clear Creek. Obviously my, uh, my brother-in-law who I, some days I claim him, but most days I don't, Briar Bauman, he's a Salinas native (laughs) and they talk about Clear Creek quite a bit, but to be honest, Jimmy, I'm, I'm pretty sure you are as well. And I kind of struggle in the woods. I kind of use my height as an excuse, but I'm, I bounce off trees pretty, you know, pretty easily. So I, I don't do a lot of woods riding. I enjoy it, but uh, I I've, I've heard a lot of legendary stories about clear Creek with, uh with Ricky Graham and Pearson and all you guys. So that's, that's pretty cool to hear you talk about, about that time frame as well. Um, Yeah. We talked about Kaczynski. I want to, you know, you, you touched upon him a little bit because you guys went at it hard for a long time. And we talked about Ricky Graham and um. You did mention it briefly. And I'm, I'm very curious on this. This is one of my, my notes that I had highlighted. You um, you kind of got away from racing a little bit. It wasn't announced or anything, but you, you kind of tapered off a little bit from actually competing and you ran uh, the Kenny Roberts training camp in Barcelona. Uh, you pretty much, from what I understand, you moved over to Spain. You, you ran that training camp for Kenny Uh, what was that like? And what did it honestly consist of? Like I know it was flat track based camp, but I don't know much about, about that. Like we've had Kenny on the show, but I don't think I've even touched upon that, that school. And I'm kind of curious on some of the guys you worked with and what that even consisted of.
0: Uh, it was, it was basically (laughs) what we did at his ranch in in Hickman, California. And, And it was, uh, when, he, when I went, when I accepted the job, I went and had dinner with him at his house and we're talking. I said, well, what's the curriculum? What are you sending me with? What am I supposed to do? He says, teach him how to use the steel shoe. <laughs> that That's what he gave me. So when I went over there the first year, it was a little tough, you know, because the Europeans, they really didn't know what we were trying to do or what we you know, what, what our, uh, what the theory was or what, what we're, you know, what the riders, you know, trying to give them a, a rider come from england and asked me well i ride a Ducati in england how's this little mini bike and we're running 100 honda xr 100s how is this going to help me so i kind of had to dissect everything and watch people and and basically figure out what what helped me so much and and a lot a lot is that kenny's told me sometimes uh the small bikes he likes to use because of the wheelbase it reacts so quick and everything we do is recorded into the brain and it's, it just gives you the reflexes and the the instinct. And uh, so you put it all in the subconscious and everything, you know, actually will come out the same. And it's a lot easier to train this way and to develop than trying to go and rent a, rent a, you know, go to a track day or, or ride the road race bikes. Or so if you have somebody that understands this and how to progress, and that's what he sent me there for. And I had the background in both, and there's not a lot of us around that has that experience of dirt track at that high level and road racing at that high level. So uh, I just went there and worked with a lot of different riders in a lot of different countries, uh, worked with a lot of Indonesians. And at that time, they're racing a bike like a 150. They called them Underbones. They're like a scooter with uh, step through scooters. And there's a lot of street racing, and they really didn't have any Malaysians racing. And so Kenny developed a team, and it was called a Pan Asian championship in indonesia india you know vietnam and all those like countries over there and uh he helped develop those indonesian riders we'd have them a few times uh like ten of them would come over at one time and then um then we worked with a lot of different european riders i worked with a guy from vietnam That their races, they have betting races over there with hundred thousand people that watch the races on those little underbones. We're talking quite a few years ago, you know, back in the day. But um, the guys that I worked with, you know, and I really didn't give them a lot. We taught them how to dirt track correctly, and and but they put the effort in. As Carlos Checa come a lot, um, Alex Creville, he come a lot, and Alex became about a year and a half. He worked there really hard, and he became the first five hundred spanish world champion so we influenced them quite a bit like i said graciano come for a couple days they had interest but they really didn't want to to get into to kenny's deal for whatever reason american or i don't want to you know talk any negative stuff but yeah it just wasn't like we kind of opened up to the public um worked with the german riders udo mark helped me coach some german guys um some, some went pretty far and some struggled a little bit. Ruben Zauss I worked with a little bit. He come a lot. Um, it was a good experience for me. It taught me a lot. And, you know, I thank Kenny for that opportunity to go over there and, and just to be able to get some understanding and, and, you know, how to progress. You know, I watched junior and Kenny junior, you know, he didn't do a lot of dirt track. He ran some low die races and some small stuff and, uh, went to Spain did a little bit of, uh we and then the a m a two fifty and then went to Spain but I watched that young man progress in the world champion in nine years from that so the the philosophy and and the curriculum that Kenny kind of put on me at some points with me getting the understanding of it 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 worked it worked well and uh
2: it's still it's still possible to to so help right that you know, so what I'm hearing right now is I'm hearing a lot of uh, similarities, but, you know, oddly enough, between you and Corey, uh, you guys both uh, are teaching or coaching younger writers that don't really listen. So I'm just kidding, Corey.
0: You
2: guys. <laughs> it made me think of uh, kind of today's, uh, you know, youth and crop, and I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on. Where you think um, the trajectory of AFT is going? Do you think positively about it? And on this podcast, we give it a lot of shit. But on the same token, commercially speaking, and uh, you know, marketability, it it seems to be you know tracking well. Um, but you know, someone that has your pedigree, what what are you thinking? What What do you see with the sport today?
0: Well, I think they're doing a good job. I, I see I see a um, you know racing's entertainment. So I see. I see them doing a really good show but we just need more teams and the bottom line is we go back to my days he's going to complain about the money the riders and teams should be able making a good amount of money so we have more teams and and there's you know you have something like we have people out there that love racing but they look at the investment and they don't want just the money pit they just want to be able to recoup something and I think that this sport needs a title sponsor like camel camel did for us rj reynolds and that helped that helped make make our sport because we could make a living and we could you know and and it's it's a i used to listen i shouldn't even mention it but i used to listen to mike kid when i was real young and we'd go to press conferences and stuff and he would complain about money you know we need to make more but he's so right you know because everybody deserves a good living if they're a professional athlete and um I would like to see the sport grow that way with money to for the riders and the teams to increase where they can make a quality living and, and be a real professional and not have to go work during the week or, or work in the off season or, you know, it's um that's the only downfall I see. Other than what they do, they do a wonderful job. I love to see Ralph Shaheen back in the sport. He's so knowledgeable and such a good guy in, in general and, he does a 100. I mean, they both do, they do a great job in the announcing booth and it's a, it's a nice, it's a good, it's a good show. It's I enjoy, I enjoy watching the flat track.
1: Yeah. I got a few more questions for you and we'll kind of let you go here. Um, But I wanted to ask you, you've been pretty positive on this podcast, Jimmy, and we appreciate that, but I, I, I want (laughs) to get some nitty gritty, nitty gritty from you. Um, did you have anybody growing sure. up? We, uh, uh, a friend of mine who's, he's, he's co-hosted with me quite a few, quite a few shows, Robbie, Bobby, and he has a, a fuck that guy segment. Um, you know growing up, did you have anybody kind of through the ranks, whether it's amateur pro dirt track, road racing, anybody that kind of, you gave that extra bit of effort if they were in front of you. Uh, you guys might've banged bars a few times. Uh, I know you're a scrapper. You know, you mentioned you were, you gotten a lot of fights growing up. So, um, anybody that you kind of hated racing with?
0: Oh gosh.
1: <laughs> oh man.
0: I, it's, that's hard to, you know, some guys I was nervous to race with, you know, some guys, Timmy Mertens was a little aggressive, uh, uh, Rodney Ferris we beating Rodney me and Rodney were novices together so we battled a lot through our career and he was such a talent too um you know I could tell you a funny story and uh I was me and my 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 wife at the time my girlfriend at the time we're in in Santa Fe and there was a guy uh Mike Gilkey and oh, yeah. it was at the TT on on wednesday night mike's a nice guy i mean but it was a TTL Wednesday. this is all me this is not him and uh he he bumped me we we're both second to last and last in the heat race and he bumped me going into the into the right hander and i crashed so the next lap coming around it was a real slow right hander so i smacked him right in the, in the face shield when he come by He's just standing there I just smacked him and then i didn't go over well i got fined that night and and then he wanted to fight me and he was like six foot tall so Bubba Showbert, he always he always stood up for me. So we we're at the water slides before uh, before Topeka, Kansas, like to, that next Sunday. It was like the Wednesday night or Friday night we raced Santa Fe, and then on Sunday went to Topeka. And uh, Mike was there, and Bubba was saying, "Don't," <laughs> he was trying to stick up for me, which I love Bubba Showbert. No, Corey, I really can't say. <laughs> I don't. I don't really. I don't really have that. I used to race with Juan Gariga. I was in fuji japan one time and every time he had passed me he'd flip me off and i think what the hell's wrong with this guy but everybody said he did it to him so it wasn't just me <laughs> but i never yeah i don't i don't know you know i had rivalries like me and john you know we're super bike guys together and and he told me in Loudon one time and it was in an 86 and he says well ken clark promised me he's going to give me a 250 for this year i said was it in your contract he says no and I said, dude, you ain't going to get one. And he says, I'm going to be 250 world champion. And I laughed at him. But you know what? He became 250 world champion. It was wild because he was once in your riding a 250.
2: <laughs> that's amazing. All right. So amazing. here we got one for you. With uh, the battle that's coming to Springfield between Mies and Daniels, It's uh, you can't write a better script than uh, what's going to unfold there. Who do you have? I like Jarrett, but, you know, dallas is a great young rider you can never
0: count it could be a great exciting race but you know jd just got off that powerful super bike and he he might be an upset there you know Mm -hmm. he's a great talent there but he i'd like to see him do well there
2: okay it's it's kind of funny
1: uh before we got on the podcast eric mentioned looking at some of your stats and stuff that you're uh JD's a modern day, Jimmy Felice. He kind of compared you a lot to JD. So that's, that's pretty funny that you, you mentioned JD. We like Jiggy dog. He's a good guy. And yeah, what I think it's underrated, uh, being competitive on a super bike right now. And also in flat track winning, winning races in both is, uh, is pretty special. Um, I got one more question for you, Jimmy, if you could sum up Kenny Roberts in one word, what would it be? (laughs) oh gosh you guys still Uh, chat too uh with a follow-up or
0: i haven't seen i i went to uh uh g romero's celebration of life and that's the last time i seen got to speak with kenny um no i don't talk to him much uh but you know what i just he he's uh he's pretty tough exterior but inside he has a good heart you know Oh, he, he was kind to me at some points and I I, tur- I left him and turned him down to go to Europe and stay in America to to dirt track and and I was surprised that they were looking at me to hire me to go co- to go to Spain to, to run the school for him. So yeah, I, I think, you know, um one word's a tough word. The king, I guess. <laughs> <Dang>
2: <laughs> in I my got-
0: day, that man was amazing. Yeah, it was, it was amazing.
1: Yeah, it's that's awesome. It's, it's been really cool to get your insight on a lot of these, a lot of these topics. And like I said, I could chat with you for, for a long time. I remember I asked you too, if you, uh, if you knew my dad a little bit and you said that you knew him and uh, that's it's always cool to kind of, kind of get some background on, on that stuff as well. So it's really cool that you, uh, you got to kind of know my pops a little bit as well. Did you, did, did you guys race together much? I, I think he was like, I think his rookie year was like maybe eighty two, eighty three. Like I'm not positive, but I think he was like early eighties. He was, he was a little behind me then. I didn't know if we were novices together,
0: but yeah, I knew your dad and grandpa loved to see him at the races. They were always, never heard a bad word ever said about your dad. He was a good man, and and uh, we got to we got to spend some time in Daytona, we rode those go karts. I don't know if you were there or not, but it was a crazy night when we rented the track, and it was just us out there. It was like, Oh,
1: Oh six, maybe. Okay. I mean, I, I probably was there. I've, I've gotten kicked out of pretty much every go-kart track in Daytona. <laughs> so I, they got my picture hanging up. Uh, I remember one year I, I had so many, I was, I had a lot to drink. I mean, the Hooters was right next to the go-kart track and uh, right, right. I crashed the go-kart so hard. I broke the fuel tank and the fuel tank was just like, like exploding fuel all over my head and I had so many drinks. I didn't even notice at the time. And yeah, like the guy chased me off the car track. So yeah, that's a Daytona, man. It's some good memories there. It, you guys had a lot more fun racing back then I feel like than than like the racers now it's pretty serious, like the training. And I mean, I, I'm not taking away from your guys's training. Like it was just different. I mean, a lot of guys like the springers and the poobies, they were smoking cigs on the starting line and, it was. Just, it seemed like you guys enjoyed your uh, your weekends a lot more than you know uh, what what a lot of these guys are doing now. So it's it's cool
2: to hear those stories. The thing that I always say about this is, I, you know, um, Deion Sanders could still be a lockdown cornerback in today's NFL, and I I think that you know a lot of the uh, motorcycle racers back in the day had the talent to compete today. Um, obviously, different training, different motorcycles. It would you know, different culture. There's a lot of differences, but talent wise, you know, there's still arguments to be made. So yeah, no, I, I, I I agree. And so Jimmy, I got one last one for you. What, so we got you on the podcast today. So we, uh, where, well, lead up to that. Where do you live in California these days? No, I'm in Nevada. I'm just uh, below
0: Virginia city Uh,
2: town here. Okay. So, um, good, good at you. Good for you for escaping. Uh, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, but I was going to say, when are we going to see you out of the race again? Do you still come to, to, uh, the races when we come out West or, um, we got to get you, uh, we got to get you, uh, out of the races again.
0: Yeah. I, um, I didn't make it out to Sacramento this year. Um, I went to, I went to Florida, but Justin, my son was, uh, he was road racing in the twins cup. So we kind of stayed at the speedway and, and that was only like we stayed right across the road there in a house, friend of mine that, that um gives us his house when we're there. And uh yeah, didn't go. I can hear I can hear the bikes out there, but I didn't make it out there. I am sorry for that because yeah. I don't oh. know I don't know a lot of guys out there anymore, you know, and it's like it's hard to go to the races when you have nowhere to go. I don't like sitting in those grandstands sometimes.
2: There's a race in Nevada coming up uh this coming weekend, uh, Carson City. So big hooligan yep. race. You could uh, come out there. If I didn't throw it into a fence at Lima, I'd have been racing that one. But uh, no, nah, yeah, it'd be good to, uh, good. to have you come out and watch some uh, people go uh, go in a circle.
0: Yeah, I go. I go out there quite a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a good race out here, Carson City. They just had the they had a practice on uh, Saturday.
1: Nice.
0: And they have a they have another practice on Wednesday. Um, to, my son's uh, down he might go out and ride a few laps and I have agree. a little short track of my property here. So.
2: Give me some then, lap then, time. I gotta, I gotta coach the, uh, my friends that are coming down to, uh, yeah. So <laughs> help how, me with some
0: setup. How's the coaching going for you, Corey? You, you enjoying that?
1: Uh, yeah, I enjoy it. I, um, I help out a, uh, a 15 year old young rider who, uh, just won the horizon award this year, Evan Renshaw, and he's turning pro <laughs> next year. So working on, trying to get him lined up with a good ride and then I coach uh Trent Lowe who I don't know if I want to claim him either but we'll claim Trent but he's uh rides for the Turner racing Honda team and and doing well uh-huh. and uh when Cody cop does good I'll claim that I train him but when he <laughs> when he gets tenth on some of these tracks I don't I don't always claim Cody but no it's it's going well it it, it makes me uh kind of like I just retired last year so I kind of it makes me want to Get back on and and whoop their asses. We talk a lot of smack back and forth, but uh, it's uh, it's going well. And like you mentioned, uh, I I actually I work for Moto America now, and I was I was with Chuck Axon over the weekend, and he he mentioned to tell you hi, and we'd love to get you back at our Moto America race. So uh, if you if you have an off weekend and there's one you like, definitely reach out to me and we can, uh, I'd love to have you at the races for sure. It's, 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 uh, it would be cool to have you there. So definitely let, let me know. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. me and Chuck go back a long ways. His dad helped me a lot. Like I said,
0: and I know Chuck since he was 17.
1: That's so, amazing. uh, yeah, Chuck's, yeah. A, Chuck's a good guy. And I honestly, we've he, I, I met Chuck. It's a funny story. I met him. I might've met him when I was younger. I don't remember my childhood too much, but When I, when I met Chuck, he came up to me at a flat track race and he had a Moto America shirt on. And the the first thing he said, you know, he said, hi, I'm Chuck. And he's like, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I was like, oh, cool, man. I was like, appreciate it. And we've talked back and forth, you know, about the podcast for probably a year. And then he, he asked me if I wanted to work for, uh, the series at, uh, VIR and race control, and I was like, I was like, can you? I was like, do you have the authority to hire me? Like, I was serious. Like, I didn't know. I was like, <laughs> your boss is going to care. And he's like, and then he runs the series. So I didn't even, I didn't know. I was like, wow, Chuck, you're pretty fucking important. <laughs> so I had no idea. Yeah.
2: But yeah he's a he's a yeah, great he was,
1: guy. That's funny. he was my boss when I, I ran a ranch over in Spain. He was, he was the guy I had to check in. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's a great guy. And it says a lot about, I mean, if you knew Chuck, you would know why the the series does so well, and him and Wayne, and and it's uh that's pretty cool. Uh, do, did you uh did you kind of were you just was Wayne? He's a little bit older than you, correct? Wayne and and Schwantz, uh, yeah. Swansea? Yeah,
0: you ask, Kevin, I think's close to my age, but Wayne's a little older. He's a couple years older.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. But we grew up. We we grew up together. All oh, I'd known Wayne since I was fifteen. Appreciate you coming on, Jimmy. I could chat with you for a long time and we didn't even get a a chance to talk about, you mentioned your son, Justin, and he was competitive pro racer and he still, he still rides a little bit and man, just a lot of stuff we could talk about, but um, appreciate your time. you, you, You gave us tonight on the podcast. I really, I was super pumped up when you said you'd come on and, now I got your number, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on you next year about coming to some races. We'd love to see you, especially in Daytona. I actually live in Florida during the winter. I live in Ormond Beach, so um, okay. we'll have to meet up and and get some dinner or something if you come back to Daytona next year. So definitely, keep awesome. In appreciate you having uh, coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you, guys, both you guys. And good luck with everything you're doing. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Okay, have a good night. Yep. See ya. Wow, Eric, that was a good one. Uh I I'd love to chat with him long long yeah, that was awesome. time, but man is such a wealth of knowledge and just an underrated guy honestly. I mean, if you go back and in that era there's so many legendary riders who they just they don't get talked about enough. It's like man, like those guys were just what they did in on the dirt and the pavement and in America and Europe and uh fuck dude, it's it's just crazy to have guys like, like Jim, Jimmy, uh, I like Jimmy. I have called Jimmy, yeah.
2: have Jimmy on the pod, bro. That was sick. That was awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the sport will be better with him, uh, getting back involved for sure. Wonderful personality, a lot of, you know, wonderful insights. So, um, let's, I, you know, I hope that this is a catalyst for him to get back and, uh, you know, get out to the races and, and, um, remind people just how wonderful he is. Yeah, and some of the guys he mentioned he worked with.
1: I mean, we he talked about a little bit, but when he rode for the 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 Roberts uh Mert team, Mert Lawwell, he had he had Dick Mann, I I read that has his Dick Mann was his guy for suspension. Uh Bud Axlin was his road racing mechanic. I mean, it's like he rode for like the most legendary guys of that era. They fucking build a team, they hired Jim Felice. So that's just like that's oh, yeah. sure. it's it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy for sure. But uh yeah, great show, man. I, I loved having him on. I hope the audio on this is good, guys. Like I said, my I have three microphones, and all of them were giving me problems tonight. So appreciate everybody for for listening. Uh, definitely give us some feedback on these on these interview pods. I want to shout out some more sponsors and make it happen. Indian Motorcycle. Appreciate everything they do for the sport just a great lineup of bikes. I got to get my hands on one. I know Gary Gray listens to these podcasts. I'm still waiting for my Indian. I need to get on that. I need to cruise around town on an Indian challenger, moto America, appreciate everything moto America is doing the weekend in Pittsburgh. Eric was another insane weekend of racing. Just golly man. Jake Gagne won, won his third super bike title. Uh, that guy is unreal. It's, it's really cool to see what he's doing in a really stacked super bike grid want to give a shout out to Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, 19-inch, 17-inch tires, off-road street. Make sure you check out their website, DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. And Uncle Jerry, man, Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems Systems of Dallas, Texas, one of the most passionate guys in in the sport right now, does so much for so many teams, the riders, the series, amateur riders, uh, promotions, amateur events. Uh, If you uh, need any commercial industrial roofing done, Jerry is your guy. He's the goat of commercial industrial roofing. So big, big show. We got Hagerstown this weekend. I'm super slammed getting ready for for a long weekend of racing at Hagerstown. It, you know, it's going to be. a Yeah, it's it's a big job. So headed headed back. Going to be cool to see bikes on that racetrack, August 25th and 26th. If you have any questions, uh, hit me up. I'm pretty easy to find. You can hit me up on our podcast page, social media, do the best I can to get back to everybody, but hope to see a lot of fans in the grandstands of Hagerstown speedway. We're starting practice at 1130, both days with races to follow shortly after 16 classes of racing amateurs, professional vintage hooligan youth riders. It's going to be a really cool weekend and I'm I'm pumped for Hagerstown, but appreciate you man for for coming on the pod and co-hosting this one with me It's really cool taking- yes, well it's a wrap amber's got dinner for me in the kitchen so i'm gonna bounce grab some food and we will keep these pods going we have tyler scott coming up next guys that's gonna be a good one i saw a spicy one yeah yeah it's gonna be a good one he i shook his hand and He's got a thunder grip on him, man. He got I can't fucking kick and shake a hand. <laughs> He's got a firm grip, but uh, yeah, we'll get him on next. And thanks for all the listeners. Uh, subscribe on the pod, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Hit us up, leave us a review. Appreciate you guys. Until next time, we out.